two week notice podcast. Is it real? I'm not positive. I can't see it. Is it obvious? Is object permanent? Yo, yo, what up, everyone? You are listening to the two-week notice podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Come on. And if you hear an echo, all right, you might know the deal by now, but if you hear an echo behind me, it's because I am not in the two-week notice podcast studio. I'm up at my ski condo in New Hampshire. This is a special episode. So today we have the lovely, the wonderful, the talented Sydney Sprague on the podcast. She and I just met uh, a couple months ago, Piebald was opening up for the Front Bottoms. Sydney Sprague, she is a singer and songwriter, and she was opening for the Front Bottoms. The Front Bottoms, they do this thing every year in Providence, the Champagne Jam, and they get drunk off champagne, I guess, and like they have a bar on stage. So I saw Sydney's set, and she watched Piebald's set, but like we officially met at that bar on stage. It was just that was just the most awesome show. You're gonna hear all about that and and so much more. But before we get into that. We do have a sponsor, people, all right? The two-week notice podcast is proudly brought to you by Plug Your Holes, okay? www.plugyourholes.com is your one-stop shop for gauges, plugs, tunnels, and I don't have the ad read in front of me, but (laughs) you get the idea, right? If you wear earplugs and all that stuff, go to www.plugyourholes.com and at the checkout point for a 15% discount, Enter the code TWNPOD, that's T-W-N-P-O-D, six letters, no spaces. Smush it all together for a 15% discount at www.plugyourholes.com. All right, what else we got going on, people? Piebald, geez, in just a couple of days, wait, tomorrow. Oh, geez, my favorite album of all time, We Are The Only Friends We Have, turns 20 years old, holy shit. I cannot believe that. So if you're not following Piebald on Instagram, now is the time to do so because we're doing all sorts of giveaways and I've been doing all these like interviews and just putting these videos together and there's, there's just like all sorts of cool content on there. So go go check that out. Cool stuff. I must say, if this is your first time checking out the Two Week Notice podcast, thank you so much. And if this is your vibe, make sure to hit subscribe so that you do not miss a single episode in the future. We got Max Bemis coming on. We have Cyrus of Newfound Glory and many, many more. Also, check that backlog because I've had some killer guests in the past. Who have I had? Chris Caraba of Dashboard Confessional. I've had Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids. I've had all the Pieball dudes. Andrew Newfeld of Comeback Kid. I've had Tucker Rule of Thursday. Eddie Reyes taking back Sunday. You get the idea. Go check that out. You'll find something you like. One more thing I definitely need to say. Sydney is about to go on a full U.S. tour, basically all of March, supporting Jimmy Eat World and Dashboard Confessional. All right? So go catch that tour and make sure you show up early and catch her set. She and her band are amazing. And go listen to her record. All right? We're going to talk all about this stuff on the episode. Thank you so much, Sydney. Thank you all. Enjoy. Today on the podcast, we have the wonderful, the talented Sydney Sprague. What's up, Sydney? How's it going? 
really good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is rad. I think coming out of the gate, we got to we got to do a recap on that front bottom show because that's how we met. Yes, uh, you were the star of the show. <laughs> Not I even. Seen, I've never seen a more hype hype man in all of my life. That means a lot to me. Thank you. I really haven't stopped thinking about it. I uh, I think a life goal thing now that I just like I need that for my band. I need a guy to take the tambourine and be a cheerleader. Uh, I'll throw my hat in the ring right now. You're hired. All right. Well, <laughs> so I'm in. I would love that. Oh man, you're yeah, you're amazing. It was a great show. The champagne got me. I will say. <laughs> yeah. So. I can't say I saw your whole set, but I saw maybe half of it. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. But I was like kind of watching like from the wings, you know, like up on that, that staircase. I was just like looking over, which the sound isn't always the greatest from there. But right. I've been listening to your tunes and um, you're just you're crushing it. I'm really impressed. Yeah. Sincerely. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. So this show, it was the Front Bottoms. It was there. I guess they do this yearly. It's a champagne jam in Providence, Rhode Island. You were doing a few shows with them. Pieball just hopped on like that one. Yeah, I had done a full tour with them September and October. So that was like with my full band, the whole thing. Um, and then we had talked to them after the t when the tour was ending. We're like, I think we're just going to come hang out at Champagne Jam. And they're like, oh, if you're going to come, you should just play. And I was like, sure. And then the logistics of getting the band out for just the one thing ended up being a little, uh, a little difficult. So it was just me solo, which was way different than the other shows that we did. It was really fun. Um, and I feel like their their crowds are just so loving and wholesome that they're kind of just down for whatever. So they were very nice to me. I'm so happy you brought that up because I cannot tell you how stoked we all were. Like, piebald, like, at the end of that show, we were like, that's like the best opening slot yeah. we've had maybe ever. Yeah. And... And also, how many how many people did that room hold? Like almost two thousand, something like that. Like I think, it was, so. I think it was like some two thousand something. Yeah, it was, and it was sold out. And you know, I do my stupid hype man thing or whatever. And I, I say stupid just because. I don't know. Yeah. Like when I look back on it, I get embarrassed. But in the moment, I do genuinely just get excited. But but like I go out and I go to like I go to like do a sway or or, or a clap or something. I look up in the balcony and everyone's swaying with me yeah i look I like in all over and i don't even get that much love at actual piebald shows <laughs> <laughs> and no they're like on board for whatever it was amazing people were buying our t-shirts before they even saw us they were just walking by like oh piebald i haven't seen you guys before and they would buy like a shirt and like some stickers i was just like ah yeah. like, good 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 vibes from the beginning yeah no definitely that was like my biggest takeaway because the that tour was my first tour really i had done some like diy stuff and like living room shows and stuff like that but that was my first like venue tour that i'd ever done so i think i got very spoiled by it um just because yeah it was like that in every city every show um like just like stupid stuff too like i would we would come out and there'd just be like people yelling compliments at us just like, I like your shirt, or like, you're pretty, or, you know, just like, the sweetest people. It's crazy. That's incredible. Do they always have a bar on stage, or was that just like for that show? That's the champagne jam thing. Like, it's just that, like, show. And I guess in the past, the, like, the theme or, like, the, the goal of the show is that 
everybody in the bands has to drink an entire bottle of champagne on stage during their set. That was like the rule. And I think it changed this year. Uh, I think the main reason was because Matt, the drummer from the Front Bottoms, was like, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. It's just like too much. It hurts too bad. So they didn't do it. And so I didn't do it, thankfully, which I would have absolutely died. But the bar on stage got me um, because it was my partner, Chuck, was the bartender. And so he was just throwing around drinks. And it was really cool because, like, people would come and kind of just, like, sit for a few minutes and then rotate around. So everybody kind of got a chance to hang out there for a bit. But every time a new person would come out, it was like a round of shots for everybody. And so... I I have no idea how many shots I ended up taking, um, but too many. <laughs> I love that guy. That guy, uh, you said Chuck, he, the bartender. Yeah. yeah, he was. I don't know my kind of guy. Just high energy, good energy, you know. Yeah. You know, um, definitely are like a twin flames. I could see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Travis, the singer of Piebald, was so sweet. This is just a testament to how thoughtful this man is. Because I'm out at the merch table. And in that particular venue, it was separate from where the music's happening, so I can't see anything. I didn't even know there was a bar on stage. I had no fucking idea. I'm selling merch, whatever. Travis comes out, and he's just like, go on stage right now. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I was like, what? I thought it was an emergency for a second. <laughs> you know? like, he's like, dude, I don't know. I'll figure this out. You need to go on stage. There's a bar, and you just need to go hang out for a couple songs. It's amazing. And I was yeah. Like, all right like and and that was when i came up and uh that was when when we talked i sat next to you we talked for a minute and yeah i love that band i love those guys we hung out on the bus for a little bit and uh, at the end of the night we were, we were like this should just be a world tour just yeah. you know just let's just do it let's, you know <laughs> yeah i'm definitely in i like i wanted to hang out with you guys afterwards but i uh i got got you got <laughs> I will say I'll have a few beers and like I don't get wasted. I mean, I, when I was just the cowbell player, I would get wasted. <laughs> but but at that point, they weren't paying me money. I was just showing up with a fucking cowbell, so fuck it. But wow. you know, then they were like, "Let's put this guy to work," you know. So the tour manager thing, obviously, I gotta be responsible. But I will admit that night, it's Travis's fault. He told me to do it. <laughs> but that night, yeah, the, I I came up and it was like. What are we shooting? I think I said, I was like, give me a small one. <laughs> Please, not do it. I can't. He was a brutal bartender for sure. <laughs> oh, what a blast. And, well, uh, thankfully, I remember at least meeting you and getting to hang out. Yeah, and that that's just one of those nights until like, we didn't know what to expect. And right. like, because we don't know those guys or didn't know those guys. So we we're like, I don't know. Maybe one of them likes Piebald and that's why they sign. Sometimes you never know. But like why why you were added to the show, and yeah. um it, yeah they were just like yeah we're fans and so it was really special. But let's learn about you, Sydney. I would like to rewind and can we talk about like maybe just like your upbringing growing up? You're from Phoenix, right? Yeah, I was born in Austin, so I came out to Phoenix when I was about eleven, um, and kind of like I bounced back and forth between the two a little bit. But I uh, I started writing and playing guitar like around the time that I moved out here I would like to know maybe like what your musical influences were you know or like what people around you were listening to and kind of like what led you to becoming a musician and you know if you picked up any other instruments stuff like that I was born in 92 
So it was like my, my personal first like interest in music were like Britney Spears and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, which is, you know, embarrassing. But no I way. I learned like pop structure and, you know, shit like that. Um, but I was around my parents that were listening to like 90s radio alternative. So it was like Alanis Morissette and, um, you know, like Third Eye Blind and stuff like that. So there was like those two kind of vibes in my life for a long time. And then as I got older, I had a pretty major emo phase that I don't think I've left yet. First of all, I got to say, the song I Want It That Way, fire. Like that song is, if I do a karaoke song, that's the only one I do. I can see it. I don't even need the monitor. I don't. I, I, I give, <laughs> just give me a wireless mic. I I'm I'm not even kidding. Like I know I, it's 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 a layup. I would pay to see that. <laughs> so well, my brother, my brother's actually a professionally trained singer. He like went. It took him through college and stuff. So we went on a cruise a couple of years ago. So he was like the you know the main singer. Um, and so he would, he stood by the monitor and just absolutely hit every note perfectly while I ran around and would back him up and get people clapping. It was like, I wish I had a video of that one. Me too. You know? <laughs> was the guitar the first instrument you picked up? Violin was the first thing I just started to try to play when I was in fourth grade. You had to like pick between band or orchestra. So I tried to play violin atrocious, like horrible. My parents suffered very much through that um and then after that i, I obviously picked up guitar and i kind of tried to pl uh, play piano a little bit i took some lessons and failed at that again pretty miserably i just i've struggled with theory pretty bad um it's just too it's too much like math to me and it's i feel like i've always heard people like it kills the mystery of music and that's kind of stupid but i think it it does a little bit for me like the way that i play guitar and write songs is just very much like a figure it out just like try to make sounds that sound good and i don't know what chord it is but i like it kind of thing so uh yeah i stuck mostly with guitar and then i play around with other stuff too like i i can like keyboard cat and like if there's a part that i hear in my head i can like pick it out on a piano or on whatever um but nothing uh nothing that i'm actually like skilled at you uh you create your own path you know yeah that's what's beautiful about music or just art in general you, it's whatever you make it you know it, like music theory is cool you know but yeah you don't have to you don't have to know it yeah right? it'd be nice it'd be yeah. nice to, i'm not smart enough all right so when did you well how about singing when did you discover you can sing? Did you take like vocal lessons or anything like that? Um, I've taken a few lessons kind of over the years, but never really consistently. I think it just came as like a byproduct of writing. Like the writing was always the most important part to me and what I really liked doing and like saying because of that. So just practicing, I guess. As I got more like into writing and into like, I started playing open mics and stuff like that. And that led me to cover gigs. Phoenix, there's like a pretty big market for that kind of thing. We have like the tourist trap situation so there's a lot of resorts and we have old town scottsdale is full of like really hype like brunch restaurants and shit like that so there's a lot of like opportunity to perform covers and i've done that for a living for probably the last like 10 years so it's like four or five hours of just like playing covers in a corner and i think just like the repetition of singing 
that often, like five or six days a week. Helped. Oh, that's putting in work. Seriously, yeah. it's it's almost like uh, like if have you been to Nashville? Um, not a, a little bit. You'll a you'll get there. Yeah. Uh, you're doing big things. You'll definitely get through Nashville. For uh, sure. <laughs> and, but point is, like Nashville is a perfect example. Like you you walk down, I forget the name of the street, but like you go downtown in every single bar restaurant there's someone doing that you know and maybe it's someone who has been doing that for like 30 years and they're just they're just playing music they're just doing their thing whether it's covers or originals or or whatever and um how do you not become a pro at that point like you could do it in your sleep probably after like even like you said doing that for 10 years you just grind and it's preparation definitely it's like a different kind of like level of i don't want to say like professionalism but it's a different like hat to wear to try to entertain people under those circumstances because it's like you know they're not there to see you they're there to like hang out and vibe you have to work a little extra hard to be entertaining and to like be the kind of background noise that those people want to hear like i've it's a really fun game for me to like watch a crowd and try to guess what their favorite song is gonna be or like what what kind of vibe they're into so like you know and you can tell too when you start playing a song like and you get the guy that you've been trying to get. And he's like, oh, yeah, this song. I'm like, yes. I got it. That's so awesome. That's fun. So when did you start, you know, breaking into, like, this this scene where, you know, well, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but I guess what's the first moment, Sydney, where you were just like, something's happening here. You know, maybe a little bit different from doing those you know, like those cover gigs at like bars and stuff like that. Like In 2019, right before everything happened, I made my first record and that was kind of like a, a big move for me. I'd like released EPs and stuff like that before, but I'd never made like a full length album. And so I saved up for like two years and was like, okay, I'm going to go do it. And so I went to Seattle and made a record with my friend Sam Rawson. I kind of just threw everything at it and was like I it's the album's called maybe I'll see you at the end of the world I had this like gut feeling that the world was gonna end which is super funny now and so I was like if I'm gonna do one thing before I die like this is the thing that I want to do and so I made the album and I released the first single right in the beginning of 2020 as just like a final shoot my shot into the universe and um I got approached by a label after that, like a little indie label uh, out of Italy. They're very cool. They're called Ruby Records. And so I feel like that was like the fact that somebody heard it and took it seriously enough to want to like support it was like, oh, okay, maybe I did like a good thing that it kind of picked up traction over the next few months, like through releasing singles and stuff like that. But obviously there weren't any shows or any like real world validation at that point. So it was kind of a weird experience to be releasing the first thing that I've ever done that people seem to be like responding to but I couldn't actually like tangibly <laughs> feel that and so finally like when the vaccine started rolling out and there started to be like safe shows um, here in Phoenix I did my first show back and it was to a crowd of like I think it was like 150 people which before if I had played a show in Phoenix I would have had like my parents and like two or three other people come out so the people bought tickets and they came and it was just like a big moment of like holy shit that's so cool they care 
I have so much respect for that. Obviously, I don't know you that well, but I'm like so proud of you. You know, like that just makes my heart happy. And but what a tough time to to go all in. Like, obviously, COVID's tough for everyone. And they're, you know, not to dismiss all the horrible things that have happened. But as far as the context of the conversation, yeah, it's brutal. Uh, Piebald, we were opening up for Dashboard. We did a full U.S. No, tour. Yeah, we were. This was February of 2020. We played with them pretty much the whole month. And... So Piebald was doing the first half opening for Dashboard. We left the tour, and then the Get Up Kids took over for the second half. So like Piebald, we all got home, but then their tour got cut short. We got lucky in the sense that, I mean, that was the biggest tour Piebald had done probably since the mid-2000s, you know, because they like broke up for a while and stuff. But it was devastating just for, for everyone. So for for you, Sydney, to like picking this time to go all in, it's and it's working. Like it goes back to all the work you've put in over the years. For right? sure, I think I got lucky too with the with the content. It was a, a timely release for everything that was going on. So <laughs> I just watched all your music videos. Oh, cool! Are, yeah, there's yeah, they're so good. I mean, the world is ending. You're right. You're totally right. Like <laughs> we're, we're all doomed. <laughs> We are. I, I took some notes because, like, there were a bunch. There were a lot of things that I liked. It was the last one where it's like the news. Oh, think... yeah, I refuse to die. Yes, that's the one. The bartender, what was Chuck? Uh, Chuck. That yeah. was. I, I was. I thought that was him, with yeah. the wig on. <laughs> yeah, that was the first video we did. That I. That was the the song that I like self released, and it was peak quarantine time. So we made that in my apartment with my iPhone, and I like learned the video edit and just like slapped all that together you made that video yeah because like i took notes on because there were so many cool things well like first of all it's like really clever and funny <laughs> and it, it it had like um aliens coming down and like all the the comets like hitting earth and then it was like your cat's trying to kill you love is not real <laughs> and then on the on the bottom you get like the news things coming across and it's like 4 20 p.m and just like i saw all the little details i watched it twice because I, that video was so awesome um, how do you even put all that to like i just started making these um, videos for piebald's instagram on imovie just like very simple simple kind of piecing it together trying to figure it out how do you even put all that stuff in there i literally have no idea maybe that's a separate podcast i don't i don't know honestly uh, i i don't know that much about it total noob but i watched a lot of youtube tutorials i had like an, an idea of what i wanted to do and just like anytime i hit a roadblock i would youtube it figure it out but i used a program called davinci which is like a free program for video editing and it's amazing i would say it's like kind of the garage band of video editing or like you know it just it has a, a very like common sense flow to it that was easy for me to figure out and yeah and i had a lot of time on my hands at that time so that helped that's a testament to your work ethic but your other music videos you didn't do those ones right no i wanted to ask who does those because they are insane what's the what's the the carnival one was oh, really awesome. i love that video thank you quitter yeah yeah and all these songs are killer too thank you so much yeah of course thanks for the music but yeah like who's making these videos Chuck, my partner's brother, Taylor, and also um, a good friend of ours named Michael, who's in a band that Chuck also plays in. Just so they're just two 
close friends who were in bands and um michael's a photographer and they'd always been like interested in making videos but again it was just like life kind of got in the way a lot of the time um because they were touring and working and doing other stuff and so this last couple years kind of presented the opportunity for us to just like all try to do the thing that we've always wanted to do so yeah we just kind of went for it and steve was the first one that we did which was i think kind of like the most ambitious one like crew wise and everything like we rented out this whole warehouse and built this set with a bedroom in it and that one was pretty crazy and then kind of just messed around with different ideas and it kind of like the productions got smaller and bigger and had to change because of covid surging and resurging and like just kind of constantly trying to adapt i hope patches isn't going to knock something over is that the cat from uh object permanence no that was actually michael's cat <laughs> that video too there were like 30 sydneys in there i assume this was some someone through like your management or record label because it looks super professional yeah just just the homies um wow but there's like a like a strong self-sabotage theme throughout the music videos which i feel like is present in in the songs and just in who i am as a person so i've I really loved working with them and getting to like just make these representations of the inside of my brain. That was a really cool video. Like as I get the iMovie and I'm like, all right, I get this interview clip and I'm like, how do I just like make it merge together? Like I'm I'm dumb, you know. So like when I watch something like that, I'm like, how is how is Sydney about to hit Sydney in the head with a frying pan? How does that work? And then your cat showed up at the end. And I was like, oh, it's a cat. <laughs> it's movie magic. Wow. I don't know. I guess uh, maybe I got to watch more YouTube videos. I don't know. You can learn anything on YouTube. It's crazy. You're right. You're right. I get impatient. You know. I feel that, honestly. Like, when I'm like, when I'm trying to learn something, I'll start to read it and be like, uh, that sounds uh. weird. <laughs> <laughs> going back to you, you know, kind of going from playing like the local gigs. So what was what was the first big gig you had? I did the a show at this place in Phoenix called Rebel Lounge, which was like the one where I finally got to like play the album. And that was the first like bigger show that I ever played that was like just my own show. And then um, after that, I got to do an audio tree performance, which was really cool. Always been a dream of mine. And then I opened for All Time Low last summer, which was the biggest like opening slot I'd ever done by a lot and then pretty much right after that I got the front bottoms tour which wow. absolutely mind-blowing I'm just I'm such a huge huge fan of them so when I heard that it might be happening I was like that's not gonna happen that is unrealistic and thanks for saying that it's even within a realm of possibility like that's flattering but no oh and then we got it and it was just crazy it was my first yeah again my first tour like first time like with a band on the road doing the thing it was a dream that's incredible yeah i love these stories again just your hard work you know just so but you like you mentioned earlier you had that self-deprecation yeah yeah <laughs> you get <laughs> well i mean you got this huge tour coming up with my homies in Dashboard Confessional and Jimmy yeah, World. You got to give me the insider scoop on what that's going to be like. Oh, man. So the Pieball guys have toured with Jimmy at World. I 
have not. But I mean, I I love Clarity is maybe in my top five favorite albums of all time. I mean, it's Jimmy Eat World, Bleed Americans right up there. I mean, yeah, it, that's a dream for me. So when I saw the tour announcement. And I, you know, it was like Jimmy World and Dashboard. And I was like, oh, shit. First of all, they coming to Boston? No, damn. All right. And then it was like with Sydney Sprague. And I was like, no way. I just met her. Like, I was like, just smile on my face. I was like, she's going to have a blast. And I'm like, I don't even know her. I'm so proud. She's just crushing it, you know? And, but as far as the Dashboard crew, Chris Caraba is the best dude ever. Now, like, like you were saying with uh, the front bottoms, like, I've been a massive Dashboard fan for 20 years. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've seen him in concert or had seen him in concert before that at least a dozen times. But I didn't know how he was as a person. And this was my first really big tour. This was when Piebald promoted me from like merch guy to tour manager. When I met Chris, it was like, I mean, the guy was above and beyond any expectations I may have had. And I was standing in the, it was the Phoenix show. It was at the, um, I can't remember the name of the place. Crap. The Van Buren. That's what it was. Yeah. I also love the Crescent Ballroom. Piebald. Yeah played there before that's like one of my favorite venues ever but it's amazing they're like uh van buren and crescent are like sister venues exactly so but we're at the van buren and this was maybe our second or third show with dashboard you know it takes a few shows or maybe a week before people really get comfortable and start mingling and like you start vibing like that you become one unit you know as opposed to like you know who's this guy does he like me kind of thing yeah and uh i was standing there in the wings with my cowbell and my fucking cowbell stick, you know, I was waiting to go on the stage and an arm comes around me and I looked to my left and it was Chris Caraba. And I was like, oh, what's up, man? And he's like, you know, it's awesome. And I was like, what? He's like, we get to watch Piebald every night. And I was like, yeah, dude, they're my, my favorite band. He's like, me too, man. And he like went out of his way to really um, like say, throughout the entire tour, how much he really loves Piebald. And by the end of the tour, it was just like, we were all really, really sad to be leaving. We wanted to, cause you know, we, we dropped, we only did the first half. Like it was a really, really, really special tour. And what confirmed for me how special it really was because the Piebald guys is so much more experienced than me in that. I could see how blown away they were at times when we'd walk into like the Wiltern Theater or, you know, something like that. It was just, um, I still think about it all the time. Like it was just, it was like the coolest thing ever for me. And, and all those guys are great. Like Jack, all right, their tour manager's name is Jack Funk. First of all, it's like the coolest name in the world. Best. He's a legend. He's like toured with uh, like Rush. He toured with like Rush for years. He, to oh. he toured with Bob Marley. He's just an absolute veteran in the business. Uh, the guy's such a professional and he's like the coolest, just the coolest dude. And like, I really tried to watch him as much as I could as a new yeah. tour manager. I'm like, I need to learn from this guy while I'm here. If, you know, the entire crew, Danny, the production manager, that entire crew is just amazing. And Chris, he's, he's smart. He, he surrounds himself with just the best possible crew. Why, why wouldn't you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I don't know if that answered your question, but it does. And I'm, I'm already excited, but now I'm like way more excited. I feel like that's what I've heard kind of consistently from people I know, which is that it, Jimmy World and Dashboard both are just like the nicest people. You're gonna love them and they're gonna love you. I'm so excited. And I Jimmy, uh, Jim, Jim Atkins, he was, he was at that show I was just talking about and he was like in line, like the Dashboard merch line. And I was like, oh shit, that's Jim Atkins. And I had met him like once years ago, but. I just like tried to like low key. I was like, "Hey, dude," just like shook his hand, like, 
you're awesome like big fan like try to be quiet and then like i still blew up his spot somebody's like oh my god i was like oh that's like i kind of felt bad but he's amazing i uh i've been thinking about this a lot recently but for i can't remember what year this was it was the year the futures came out um i asked for christmas i wanted the cd of that album and that was the only thing that i asked for that year was that album and it was the only thing I listened to, like, that next, like, whole year. So just, just so, like, core memory influential to me. I'm so excited. To, I've never seen him live, which is crazy, because um, we're both from Phoenix, but I'm so stoked. I love that album. Futures is great. Amazing. Was that, I think that was the follow-up to Bleed American, right? Yeah. So it was probably, like, 2005 or six or that seems right. something like that. Yeah, early 2000s. Yeah, 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 Jimmy World Rules. So the Front Bottoms tour, how many shows was that? It was 30, 32, I think. Wow. It was a big one. Yeah, so what was the setup? Were you in like a van or a bus or? Yeah, we're in a van. Um, it's a Ford Transit. It's bright red and his name is Vanthony Kiedis. Um, I'm because of the red. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Yeah, it's just, uh, it's me, and then Chuck, and then this uh, guy named Sebastian, who's my guitar player, he played on my record, which is how I met him, and then his friend Tom, who he introduced to us, um, is my drummer, and it's just the four of us. Wow, just grinding it out, road dogs. Road dogging, yeah, yeah, we haven't uh, haven't graduated to having a merch guy or a tour manager yet, so we're wearing all of the hats. Yeah, that's that's how you gotta do it, and, you know, for a while probably, right? I mean, yeah, probably. Did you have a trailer? Nope. Uh, yeah, that's that's how Pieball rolls. Same, we gotta. I don't want it. I don't want a trailer. I'm the same way. There's at least one dude in the Pieball camp who says it's unsafe to not have a trailer. Like, say that 18 wheeler hit us uh, directly that I was talking about earlier with all that equipment in the back. Like our drummer Luke was sitting in the way back. Like he would have been like a pancake, you know. Uh, yeah. but in like, you know, shit can like fly up front and stuff. So, but then at the same time, if you have a trailer, it's harder to drive, which is also unsafe, especially if you drive in like icy roads and stuff all around the country. So yeah, it's like, exactly. but I'm with you. Like the parking situation to me is like the least, or I guess the most, like the biggest deterrent from having a trailer. Cause I'm already so horrible at like, you know, there's a lot of like street parking and parallel parking and parking in weird spots and backing into places. I'm just like, I don't even want to think about how hard that would be. That's always the hardest part. Like, like the driving itself, you know, like I can drive on the highway all day. I mean, it, it sucks. It's tiring. You know, it's, it's a grind, but yeah, I, the only times I get flustered and you know, you got backseat drivers. They're like, do this, no, do this. And, you know, I'm like, shut up. All you, <laughs> like, <laughs> I got it. Uh, that front bottom show in Providence, that was like, a, they had to close off the street for me and I had to like turn around and back up into this alley on like a sidewalk. Yeah, it was like, right. it gets that tricky. Real crazy, crazy shit. Yeah. But... I had a rental car for that show, so it was pretty easy for me. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Little Toyota Camry. Oh. The awesome. perfect touring vehicle. That's great. <laughs> so first big tour experience is what did you maybe come across that you didn't expect or like what little tricks or tips or things did you like learn or pick up on? Like I think like the the merch aspect of it was something that I was pretty unprepared for. 
um because you know in general it's hard to plan for how much you'll need and how much you'll sell and you never know it's like different every show and I had just like no experience to draw from so I had no idea like how to prepare for that and so I like I ordered my shirts and I got everything together and we sold out in the first three days because those crowds are amazing and um yeah it was just kind of like all right well I gotta get another emergency shipment shipped out to the next city and then hopefully that'll get us through the rest and that was sold out in another five days and so it was just kind of like I think I did five like rush orders which I don't want to do again it's way more expensive to do it that way so I think like the balance of like trying to get more than you think you'll need is the one of my bigger takeaways and just like how much how much work it is to like play the show and then to go sell merch all night and then to settle and like drive to the next city and just all of it a lot um so you have to kind of like learn to lean on your friends and the people in your band to like support you and take shifts and you know it's very very much a teamwork effort it was hard to get used to how big those crowds were that was the other thing I kind of was having to learn because I'd never played to that many people before so I was nervous a lot for the first like few weeks and then I kind of got used to not used to it but just like learned how to better interact with a group of people that size that's well first of all you gave me goosebumps with just like how much of a grind it is and how much you really lean on each other even oftentimes just like moment to moment i might just have a moment where i'm just like i'll get like without realizing i'll like space out and get maybe like down in the dumps and just someone will say something stupid and funny and you like it like snaps you out of it kind of thing and it's just that like camaraderie it's so special it's a, such a special bond it really is because you're i mean there's no privacy you're always in the van together you're always in the venue together you're always in a hotel together like it's you have more privacy living in a in like a small apartment with someone than you do being on the road yeah, it's a special bond yeah it's a little bit of trauma bond but mostly love mostly love yeah <laughs> that's funny now as far as you know taking on like these big crowds for the first time how did you get to the point where you you weren't as nervous anymore like how did you overcome that i think it's just just doing it over and over again was really the only way and it's weird because like there there were some venues of like different sizes and it started to feel like the bigger the crowd was the less it felt like i was playing in front of people like it's just such a glob at that point that it's like almost not real it's like i can't it's i'm, I'm not perceiving that there are people here this is just a, a unit one person thing but again like everybody was just so kind and so like receptive that helped a lot i like the way you just worded that and i don't know if i ever thought of it that way you're right because like take that that front bottom show that pieball did with you we don't play in front of two thousand people unless it's with dashboard or the front bottoms or right festival whatever but like i wasn't even looking at people I just, like it's just like one big blur yeah you know what i mean if you watch me on video maybe you wouldn't know that or whatever but like but if it's a smaller show if like we're playing a whatever oh, headlining yeah. like yeah you could you can look everyone's look it's more intimate and yeah. it is more nerve-wracking in a lot of ways you're yeah. right it was weird because we had a couple of shows with the other opener oh so oh so 
throughout the tour to kind of like fill in the gaps and those shows were like totally different vibe like kind of more what I'm used to um there was one that was just like in a this really sick DIY space and just like you know smaller club shows um and there was one that I think there was probably like when I played uh there was probably like 20 people there and the people were like maybe not the most stoked to see me which is fine it's there's nights like that for sure but it was just it's so much it's harder to get through to those people because you know they're you're not far apart from each other and they're just standing there like this and I'm like I don't I don't know what to do (laughs) it's just different it's going from like you know one night there's 2,000 people and it feels like you're you know, there's there. It's it's like almost like people aren't perceiving you as much as it is when there's like just a few people that are like that. <laughs> Maybe you're better at that too, because like you were talking about earlier, when you're playing like bars and stuff. Yeah. When there's just like a big crowd, some of them maybe they're talking to each other, or right. you know what I'm trying to say, like. They're nachos and not like really paying attention. I think. In those bigger crowds, there's got to be people who aren't necessarily paying attention. But with, at least with those front bottoms crowds, like there's an overwhelming support and yeah. like how engaged everyone is, and like they want to like you. They yeah. show up early. The yes. place was packed. Like everyone shows up early because they they want their merch. You know, right. they, they want that before anybody even starts playing music, and then yeah. they want to get up front yep. because they want to be there for the front bottoms, but. It's just, uh, it trickles down from the top, right? Like it comes, the front, it starts with the front bottoms and just like the energy they exude. And, right. Uh, and I will say, um, going back to your question about like what the scope is on, like with the dashboard, Jimmy World, the dashboard crowds are not far off from that. Their fans are very, very loyal and they show up early because they all want to get to the front and they want to be as close to Chris Caraba as they possibly can be. As do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And um, well, he also had um, a VIP thing. Um, I don't know if there's any of that going on with your tour, but sure. I think he limited it to like 60 people or so. You know, they would get early access and they would like take a picture with them and get like a, you know, some exclusive merch included in whatever extra price they paid. But I'd be sitting up the merch, like, just, like... But I would plan um, everything I had to do around his... Because he would do, like, a five- or six-song acoustic set for those, like, 60 people. Cool. So And I... every No matter what I had going on, like, I just planned everything. So I got to see him, you know, two times a night, which was just... That's so sick. Yeah, it was... It was cool. And he was so appreciative. Like, almost every day, he'd be like, Dana, thanks for watching my set, man. I'd be like, of course. <laughs> Like, like, I told you I was a fan, bro. You know, like, um, but he's just that sincere, you know. But but those crowds, so you know, you had those people that came in early, and they would just be right up front before yeah. the the regular doors even opened. And yeah, before we even took stage, the place was always packed. And I mean, there were always some piebald fans like already existing. I would say the majority of the crowd was not, but we every night they were supportive we definitely got new fans you're gonna you're going to 
explode through this tour. That is my prediction because you are doing a lot of really smart things and impressive things, you know. Um, there's a festival, too, before that, right? Yeah, Jennings Festival. Um, Dashboard is on, too. They're on the day before us, but it's our uh, it's a spring training festival. We have, like, a big baseball scene here in the springtime, not something that I am aware of or participate in, um, <laughs> but it is a thing that happens, and so we have this festival, um, which is funny because it's actually – the last show that I went to March of 2020 before things shut down was Innings Fest. I saw Rainbow Kitten Surprise and Death Cab for Cutie and um, Weezer was on that night too. It was just like, it's just a sick fest. It's really cool. And we don't have a whole lot of that kind of stuff out here or like, you know, bigger festivals or anything. So it's really cool for us in Phoenix and um, just very, very honored to be playing it. You're going to love that. I was looking at that lineup. It looks pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about that. Um, and then I think Jimmy World is playing. They just started doing it in Florida, too. So they're doing the Florida one, and then Dashboard and I are on the Phoenix one. That's so sick. And yeah. uh, so how long is this Jimmy World and Dashboard tour? It's a little under a month, I think. Uh, it starts on the 28th, and it ends on the 22nd of March. So what are you going to do logistically that you've learned from you know maybe the hard way from that last tour as far just maybe just like maybe it's something van related or hotel related or or you know something like that um we are reconfiguring our van this time we're taking out the third row which is a it's been hotly debated as whether that's a good idea or not um because it was supposed to be like the the office area if you needed to go back there and like take a work call or like you know something that was like the private space it ended up being the place where tom napped and <laughs> nobody else <laughs> we love him but, um he's so sleepy and so you know we need a little extra space i gotta i gotta get more merch and uh we didn't bring a base rig last time because chuck was sharing with another guy from oso so we we have more stuff this time and it's gonna be interesting too with like you said hotels um the parts of the country that we're going to, we don't know as many people. And we did a lot of crashing on the last one with like friends and extended friends and stuff like that. So I think it'll probably be a lot of hotels. Right. Yeah. What's, what's your, um, do you have like a particular, I like the Holiday Inn Expresses. That's what I usually book for Pieball. Sometimes they're expensive, obviously, if they're in the city and stuff. But what I like about those is one, like this, it's shit breakfast, but. It's food, but every Holiday Inn Express has the same breakfast, whatever, even if you're just grabbing some fruit and some coffee, whatever, you know. And the other thing I really like, we have like a million points now, like platinum, just because we always book through them. So we have some free rooms in the bank, which is huge. That'll come in handy. The other thing is, you know, you get like better rates sometimes for being like a member. Yeah. And I always look for the ones that it's like the two queen plus the pull-out couch suite like they all have those rooms just but if it's last minute they might be all booked but right. so you have the two queen beds and then you have a pull-out couch and which is basically another queen bed so it, i mean it sounds like a small thing but that's huge like some someone's not sleeping on the floor now do you know what i mean yes i know exactly what you mean 
Um, I really love the Home 2 Sweets. I feel like it's like a newer chain. So they're all very, you know, fresh and nice. And it depends on the city. Like sometimes they're a little more expensive, but usually they're kind of in the same price range, I would say. And the other thing is I use the uh, the app to book directly through the hotel, which I learned to do through a series of horrible things. But all that to say, um, I do the app and it's really cool because you can check in on the app and you get your car, you get your key card on your phone. And so you don't have to go check in at the desk. You get there, you go straight to your room and your phone unlocks the door which is like truly life-saving when it's like three in the morning and you've been driving for a billion hours and you just want to go the fuck to bed. Um, you, that's a pro tip for me. Holy shit. Because well, Holiday Inn Express needs to step up their game here. Come around. It's like, oh my goodness, that's always the worst. Yeah, we show up at 3 a.m. It's like, all right, I'll be right back. You know, 20 minutes hard? later. Like, Why yo, what? is it so hard to be checked in? Why is it so hard? I was shocked at how every single time we would check in, it was a whole thing. And so what what led me to this is we I booked a hotel one night. We got two rooms that night. It was special. We go to check in, and the guy, it was like 3 in the morning. He was a huge asshole. And he was like, well, you booked on uh, Expedia or whatever. Why do you do? Why do people do that? It's such a pain for us when people do that. I'm sorry. I don't know how the hotel business works. I'm just a guy trying to get a room. Please, can I have my rooms? And he was like, well, because you did that, we accidentally overbooked the hotel. And so we only have one of your rooms. And we're going to have to send the other people to another hotel down the road. That's not your problem. I know. That's what I said. Um, but he didn't. He was not helpful. That's that's always tough. Those those overnight uh, hotel desk the people behind the you know it's a different breed. It's not ideal for anyone, but <laughs> like Jesus. And so after that, I was like, okay, I'm not going third party anymore. I am booking directly through the hotel. And when I figured that out, it's when I figured out the key thing, and I was like, this is the move. That's brilliant. Which you know for. For my situation, it's like, well, we're, we're already loyal to that Holiday Inn Express. Right. So you have all those points. And, you know, again, it goes a long way financially. We, we got all those free rooms in the bank, which, but I really want to do that, Keith. It's, it's just, I'm so, that's so funny you brought that up because because those guys are always just waiting in the van. Like, oh, how is it going to be? I come back, I, I, could, I could just see all their faces like, can we go to our fucking rooms yet? And so on this last tour we just did, I remember one time, it was like this woman was an angel. I went in. She was happy. She was smiley. And this was after midnight, so she was like the third shift person. And, like, she was just, like, just bang, bang. I'm telling you, it was three minutes. And I came back. There was one time I fucked up because there were, like, four different holiday inns, like, in Anaheim or something. So they thought I had. I, they thought it was one of those situations because it was so fast. They were like, "Dude, did you bring us to the wrong hotel?" <laughs> it was like, and I and I kind no, I kind of played with it to fuck with them. I was just like, "You guys, I got some bad news." And I was like, "No, I'm just kidding." And then like, <laughs> they all went in. They were like, "Thank you to to her because she was just so great." Uh, it's very rare. It's very. 
it's just shocking like why it's so hard on this last tour we had this guy he like overcharged us for all this stuff we were somewhere in connecticut and like i mean the whole situation was a mess it took like extra maybe a half hour to check in but then like the guy he figured out that we were piebald and he, he like he came up to our room and like knocked on the door and came yeah. inside and like started asking for pictures and like all this fucking like he was he was harmless but it was super unprofessional and then i was like you're probably not supposed to be doing this can you can you give us a hookup like i feel like we got you know you you know, he's like, oh, I'll give you a discount. He he didn't, but whatever. It was fun. It, that was that was interesting. Life on the road. Any anything else that you you like learned? Like one thing I learned when I first started touring with the guys, right? When you are pulling up to a hotel, one, uh, try to park where your van is in sight from your room. Yeah. Yep. Then the other thing is like backing it up, like up against a wall or so, like something, so that people can't. If someone's trying to break in they can't open those back doors just like a lot of little things like that that I've yeah. picked up along the way you know I uh I do I have slick locks those round locks uh that with the key that go over the lock of the door I put that on the side door and on the back and then also this was my dad's idea I got motion sensor lights and I put magnets on them so when we park the van I put lights all over around the like top of the van and so if anybody walks near it like it's, it's like a floodlight which it's not a hundred percent but it's definitely like a deterrent i feel like if a light comes on when you're walking up to a car you're about to smash like totally smashing is bad um we did get robbed on the tour what happened it was uh it was in san francisco it was at the venue it was uh the warfield which is like a beautiful historic venue. And I don't want to talk too much shit, but <laughs> we did get robbed at their venue after um, repeatedly telling them that we didn't feel safe in the situation. Um, it was like, you, basically you're parked like in the street. And so there was the bus and then our two, my van and Oso Oso's van were parked next to each other in front of the bus, which immediately felt kind of like somebody could walk in between or whatever and so we got there and the front bottoms were sound checking it and they were like all right well load your stuff out onto the onto the sidewalk and then you'll be ready to load in whenever they're done in like a couple hours like i'm not leaving my gear on the sidewalk and they're like no 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 it's fine because we have we know we got these security guys here and i'm like i still don't want to put it on the sidewalk he's like no 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 we've got the security guy his name's mountain he grew up in this neighborhood so people around here they respect him and i was like that's a red flag to me <laughs> i don't know anything about mountain i'm sure he's a great guy so we we did not do that we left everything in the van and we watched the van for hours um before we could finally load in we did all that it was fine and then like 10 minutes before we were going to play, I had this like just this feeling and I was like, I need to get my bag out of the car. Just like I, I always bring my backpack in and stuff, but like my clothes bag, I was like, I need to get it out of the van. So I went out and I grabbed my bag um, and then Sebastian did too. We both brought our bags down or no, Tom, it was me and Tom. We got our bags and we played our set after the set. I was selling merch and one of the guys from the other bands came out and was like, our bands got 
broken into. They like smashed the front window and then just like went back. And they were able to get into both vans. They were able to like crawl all the way back and take uh, it was Chuck and Sebastian's like clo- clothes bags. All their clothes were stolen. There was no gear in the car, which is really lucky that nothing expensive got taken, but it still sucks. Yeah. It happens. That's that's the road for you. My head is, I think, where your head was at, where it's like, I feel like that was an inside job. Mr. Fucking Mountain over there sounded sketchy to me while you were telling that story. These people trust him. They trust him to let him... The... Yeah, he's probably like, oh, they're doing sound check right now. Now's the time, you know? Right, yeah, that's... Anyway, it was... I'm uh, sorry, that sucks. Okay. It happens. It was like, it felt like a rite of passage to me. It's like, my first tour, we're going to get robbed. But, you know, they, they ended up, the venue ended up paying to replace the window that was broken, which was kind. That was all the support that they offered. Yeah, so what, would you put like a cardboard box or something? When we got in a van wreck on that last tour, we just took like a merch box. And we had to like duct tape like a window. Like, like yeah. you, is that what you did? Yeah, and then the next morning we were able to go and just have a new window popped in pretty fast. Which is like the last thing you need. People who, you know, aren't on tour, they think you have this glorious life. You don't have time to take a shit or eat or like, like you have no time to do anything, you know. And I, I love it. I'm not complaining, but it's just but like. It is for sure. There's no time. Yeah. Every moment is accounted for all day. Totally. Totally. And. So it sounds like you're ultimately the tour manager as well. Like you, yeah. It's between between me and Chuck. We kind of like tag team it. For your first big tour, I would say. I don't know. It sounds like you, you thought of things that you know, like uh, the light thing. I think that's really clever, uh, or like the extra lock and. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those are, they're really good locks. Even the hotel thing. Oh my god! Like if I could figure that out for the pieball dudes. Like if I could just park when we get there, and just be like all right, like just scan your phone you're in the room they're like they would be i might use that i might have to use that any any other uh little things like that that you uh, may have picked up on or that you i just feel like every tour i do i feel like i i find a handful of things to do better the next time or like to do differently the next time you know i feel like uh we we got better with our writer like as it went because i've never had one of those before either so i was like i don't know it feels weird to ask for stuff but so we ended up just putting like uh, like cliff bars and bananas and like cans of cold brew coffee and just things that we could like take with us to, to have the next morning. And that was pretty nice. We definitely do that too. Like we'll, we'll empty that fridge, whether it's beers or waters or oh. like seltzer, water, like all of the fruit. We take everything because you do ultimately get charged for that stuff too. Right. You know, yeah. at the end of the day. And yeah, maybe you're not staying in a hotel where you can get some breakfast. And the other thing we always do is we put um, at the beginning of the tour, before I even pick the rest of the dudes up, I'll I'll stop and just grab like one of those one-time use coolers, like a styrofoam cooler. At the end of a show, when we empty the fridge or whatever, we got drinks and snacks. and you know. That's smart. I gotta do that. There you go. Cooler. All right. I'm glad I could help too. <laughs> I, like sh- I like sharing information. This is great. This is great. Oh, uh, one other one is uh, there's this website called tourfood.us and it's this like database that um, I can't remember it's, it's I think it's the drummer from Japanese breakfast and somebody else these musicians started that's like um, you can search by venue or by route and it will 
give you restaurants that are recommended by other touring musicians that meet like a certain criteria. So they're like under a certain amount of money like per meal. They're like within like walking distance or reasonable distance from the venue or they're they're like um like regional cuisine when they can be so you can like try the different things from cities um which is my favorite part i think of touring so far it's really really cool andy that's brilliant so you kind of like every time you go to a new city or town you're you're going off that app uh most of the time if there's something something like reasonable or um that everybody's vibing with but Luckily, like the other guys in my band have toured for a lot of years, so they have a lot of pro tips. Wonderful. So you got, you, you've surrounded yourself with, you know, some, some pros yourself. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Really lucky. That's great. Well, there is definitely some luck involved, but, you know, obviously they believe in you too. And that, again, that's through your hard work. So, you know, that's, don't discredit yourself. You've, you've earned all this stuff, you know, you're, you're crushing it. And, um, you know, I, like, so w- when you're on tour, like, what is it that, because, like, for us, like, like me and Travis, we love ping pong. So, like, we'll look for ping pong. Or, like, Luke's a vegetarian, so we always make sure to find, like, a, a restaurant with, like, you know, a, a good options for him to eat. So is there anything, like, whether it's, well, it's hard to find time to even go play ping pong, but if you do have extra time. There wasn't a whole lot of time on this last one. Um, but if I if I had the time, I really love, like, vintage and thrift I like to just like pop around and look at stuff. Um, we're also just huge, huge coffee people. So trying to find like a local coffee shop to go try is a big one. And then Chuck and I are big uh, Magic the Gathering players. So we like, we brought all our cards and we're like, anytime we have some time, we'll just like game in. But we did not play once the entire tour because there was just never, never a moment. But maybe, I think on this next one, it seems like the the routing is a lot more direct, shorter drives and easier drives. So I think that there might be some time this one. But the front bottom store was kind of wacky. There was like some some real zigzagging going on. We did we did uh there was one that was we played in L A. and then we went to Vegas and then we went to Anaheim. So it was like five hour five six hour drive and then right back again the next day. There's, I think there was like three or four of those kinds of situations on that tour. We're just like, this is an unnecessary drive, and I resent it. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were just in California. Why didn't we just stay there and then come here or oh, whatever? Right. But I know because with like the cancellations and the, the schedules just being like insane, you, get, you take what you can get. Right. It's a nightmare in itself. We even we had to go on the last tour with when we met up with you, we had, we had just come from New Hampshire, which was nothing, but we were in Pennsylvania like the night before that. And then we went to the front bottom show and then back to Pennsylvania. And it was like a little zigzagging as well, but you know, it's, it's, did any of your shows get canceled or postponed or anything, or did it all go off smoothly? So lucky. I feel, I felt like we like hit a gap, like it was September. So everybody was pretty much vaccinated at that point. It was before Omicron came out so we were in this kind of like really nice little pocket of time that it didn't feel too horrible at this point it's just like i'm just happy to be here i'm stoked to to get to do all this stuff but it's also just a day at a time and i'm never holding my breath anymore because it's just like anything could happen at any moment you got to be prepared for for anything or nothing you're 
100% right. You hit the nail on the head, I think. I love your attitude because, you know, you're doing it. And it takes a very special attitude to believe in that and just keep grinding. And so everything you got, you deserve and then some. But also it's realistic. Like, just, again, like, you know, the end of the world theme of your album. Like, I don't know. That's, that's my kind of vibe. I love that. Uh, <laughs> and again, like, I listened to the record and uh, watched the videos and it's all the tunes are really killer and it's it's impressive and you know i was just like looking around your um what do you call it the link tree i i, I should probably get one of those but like your website and um just like what you're doing on the socials like i think you're really doing a lot of things right like uh the content you're making these music videos which i don't know i didn't even know like people don't even do that anymore like a good music video i think it's like a something of the past and it's nice to see i grew up watching like fresh start on vh1 in the mornings and just like i don't know even still there's every once in a while a music video comes out and i can't think about the song outside of the visual context anymore because it's just cool totally it, it's like the song itself is art but then when you add yeah a visual to that it's just like art on art can i ask you what is your pre-show routine right say it's an hour before you set what's going through your mind anything you do in particular i'm freaking out <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, I'm usually I'm like getting ready, making my face acceptable for the public, and um, I gotta make my tea. That's kind of it. I I try to like be as chill as I can be because I my brain definitely has a tendency to like hyper analyze about like detail stuff. So I try to just like not do that. I get everything done that I need to do in the like leading up to that and then I give myself at least like 30 or 45 minutes to be able to just like sit and just like be and then that's that's pretty much it I don't have any like really crazy things everyone sometimes I'll warm up my voice um Tom my drummer does he like does some jumps he like the thing where you put your hands up and you jump and touch your knees to your hands he does that I don't have like a cool thing though I guess I need to get a cool thing <laughs> We do like a, we all put our hands in and we have a little thing we say. What do you say? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't remember how it started, but like a couple weeks into the tour, we were, you know, like tired and stupid. And I think it was Sebastian maybe that said that we were squishy little mush people, which just felt right. It was just like our little thing is that, uh, that we are squishy, we are mush. <laughs> it's going back to that, like, that camaraderie or that special bond on the road that like nobody will understand unless you're in the moment. Yeah. You know, on the dashboard tour, burger amnesia became a thing for us. Burger Be amnesia. Yeah. Aaron Stewart, he's the funniest guy in the world. He plays guitar and pie ball. And like, you know, like it's a lot of like truck stops and like just burgers, just like shit food. And I don't know, we were somewhere and he's looking at the menu, just like this, this like, Hmm, I haven't had a burger in a while. I, I, I can't remember the last time I had a burger. Like, I think I might have burger amnesia. And <laughs> we were like, we're all crying, laughing. That might sound silly. No, it was great. <laughs> like, but for the rest of the tour, every time we went into a restaurant, someone would be like, it went from having had a burger in a while to looking at a menu and being like, burger, what? What's a, <laughs> you, what, what is that? What's a burger? <laughs> and then like, I remember... 
It was somewhere. Yeah, it was definitely the dashboard. So, um, I had, oh, we had gone to like a Wendy's and I, I planned this intentionally for the laugh. It was one of those moments on tour. Like, I don't want to say things were tense, but like people were just, it, it wasn't, uh, I was trying to make people laugh. You know, it was just like a, a tough day kind of thing. And I just like had an extra burger that I honestly couldn't finish. So I put it in my hoodie pocket and we had just finished unloading in like Salt Lake City. And, uh, and we're all standing in a circle, like just like kind of just whatever, just talking about what's going to happen the rest of the day and like and i reached in my pocket and i was like what what is this in my pocket i was waiting until they all like would look at me <laughs> and I, like i just i pulled out this burger that had been in my pocket for like three hours <laughs> they're like pocket burger i don't know. like again it's stupid but like in those moments like it's everything yep it's yep. everything <laughs> but we're gonna not be able to think about that now that's awesome though all right let me ask you this sydney i want to know what your short-term goals are and any long-term goals that you have moving forward with your musical career it could be tour wise it could be like recording wise record wise you know whatever comes to mind yeah um i would say short term definitely working trying to get another record done um and out sometime in the next hopefully year i mean it's funny i wrote I, I try to be really modest about goal setting. Um, I'm really normally not very good at it. I think it's just kind of the self-deprecating, like, I don't know. I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. I don't want to, like, hope for, get my hopes up for, you know. But it, but it is good to do, and it's funny because when I made my record, I, I for the first time ever, like, sat down and wrote out my goals, and I have done all of them. I checked them all off in a year and a half. And so at the beginning of this year, I started writing my list and I was like, I want to make another record. I want to, but one of them was I want to tour for, I want to open for one of my favorite bands and Jimmy World is one of my favorite bands. So I did it. Um, There you go. Yeah. I don't know what else to wish for. Um, Just more of the same, I guess. I'm just, I just feel lucky to get to do any of it. Well, gratitude is important, but it doesn't hurt to write something down, you know? Maybe the next step is baseball stadium tour with Weezer, or maybe you go to Europe with, you know, whoever. Like Getting outside the U.S. would definitely be a big one for me. I haven't done it before. Oh, you have to. I know. Oh, I you're going to love it. It's going to happen. Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never did it with a band. I did it just on my own when I was I'm 36 now I did it when I was 33 so like three years ago I quit my corporate job and I went to Europe for four months by myself and it was amazing I still think about it every day like you I'm trying to motivate you here like you have to it is you have to do it you, you gotta you gotta see the world right I know be, before it ends which is happening now so, so yeah <laughs> uh, no I, I would love to and it will happen when when piebald and the front bottoms and we do our world tour I like that. That yeah. sounds that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> awesome. All right, Sydney, what can we plug? You got so many cool things happening with the tour and your record, so let's let's do a proper thing here. Um, I guess yeah, the only thing to really plug right now is the tour. I start uh, March 1st in Oklahoma City, and then the the rest of the dates are all on my website. Um, and then listen to my album, Spotify or Apple or whatever whatever thing you have. Which is called... Maybe I will see you at the end of the world. There we go. I love it. All right. 
Sydney Sprague, you're doing big things. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and thanks for thanks for doing this. It's been a, an, an honor and a pleasure. No, the honor is mine. <laughs> Thank you. Let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on. Yes. Sydney Sprague, thank you so much. Who's better than you, huh? What a wonderful human. All right. Go catch her on tour, opening up for Jimmy World and Dashboard Confessional, basically starting like right now, end of February and throughout March. That is something you do not want to miss. And once again, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, thanks so much. Hit me with a five-star written review. If you have the iPhone in particular, you know, like uh, the little purple square says podcasts. It's so helpful if uh, you go to my show, right? So type it in, two-week notice podcast. And then make sure you're following me. Make sure you're subscribed. And then scroll all the way down and give me a five-star written review. It's so helpful. Now, if you don't have an iPhone, don't you worry because you can also go on Spotify and give me five stars. Or you can do both and I will love you forever. But the Apple one is extra helpful. So I would really appreciate it. Other than that, let's just close this out. Until next time, I love you all. Peace.